Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Today we have a special guest co-host filling in for Preet. Dan Goldman, as many listeners may know, served as House Majority Counsel during the first impeachment of Donald Trump. He also served under Preet as an Assistant United States Attorney in the Southern District of New York. And as usual, we have plenty of news to discuss. A federal judge in California determined that Donald Trump likely committed crimes in his efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. The judge also ordered former Trump lawyer John Eastman to provide documents to the January 6th committee. And the committee has been hard at work on multiple fronts, beginning contempt proceedings against former Trump aides Dan Scavino and Peter Navarro, and preparing to hear testimony from Jared Kushner on Thursday. Meanwhile, the committee is reportedly in possession of texts from Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, in which she pressed Trump's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, to help overturn the election results and is discussing how best to obtain her testimony. Dan Goldman and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. Did you anticipate that there'd be this much going on when we first talked about doing the show together? It seemed like legal news was in a little bit of a slump and we were very focused on Ukraine. Uh, We are. And that always means that there's a regression to the mean, so to speak, in this day and age. And uh, if we get a little lull, then that means when it rains, it's going to pour. It's really amazing, the torrent of information that keeps just coming and coming and coming, especially about January 6th. So I want to go back to that point about this torrent of news. But before we get to that, I wanted to give folks a reminder, especially for folks in New York. This week, Thursday, March 31st, is the first Stay Tuned Live show since before the pandemic began. Preet is interviewing Ben Stiller and Gary Kasparov and Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman will make a special appearance. I'm unfortunately stuck in Birmingham. I shouldn't say unfortunately. I teach on Thursdays, which I always look forward to. I won't get to be there. So I'm hoping those of you who do attend will live tweet the show so that I can stay uh, up to speed. You can get your tickets at cafe.com backslash events. And Preet looks forward to seeing you there. Well, I will be there, Joyce. So I'm excited for it. And this should be a great conversation. That is three really stellar guests. And especially with Preet in the mix, there's no telling what will come out of it. I'm looking forward to a lot of insight. Absolutely. It's, uh, and it's nice to have such uh, people with such different backgrounds. I think it'll really be a, a robust conversation. Y'all go and get your tickets if you haven't already. It's sure to be um, a lot of fun. I want to get to this question that you raise of the impact at DOJ. First, let's maybe back up for a second and, and remind listeners what this lawsuit is and what it isn't. This is the lawsuit where John Eastman sues Benny Thompson, the chairman of the January 6th committee. And of course, our listeners know that Eastman is the Federalist Society lawyer who came up with the plan to use Mike Pence to prevent Congress from certifying Joe Biden as the next president of the United States. What happened next is a little bit different from other witnesses who the committee has subpoenaed. 
John Eastman sued the committee in California over the subpoena for documents. And this lawsuit is essentially his effort to avoid turning over his emails from January 4th through January 7th of 2021. Eastman's argument has been that they're protected by the attorney-client privilege or work product immunity. And, And yesterday, the California judge, David Carter, a Clinton appointee, ordered Eastman to turn over 101 of the 111 documents in question. One other tidbit, and I wonder, Dan, what you thought about this. Eastman clerked for Michael Luttig, a conservative icon uh, of a federal judge before he retired to become Boeing's general counsel. And here's what interests me the most. Eastman's co-clerk? None other than Texas's junior senator. That's right, Ted Cruz, who the Washington Post reported yesterday fought a last-ditch battle to keep Trump in power. It it now sort of makes sense that out of all the people in the world that Mike Pence could have gone to, he went to Judge Luttig for advice when he was trying to decide if he could do what Trump and Eastman wanted him to do. Luttig told him no, and and the rest, of course, is history. But Ted Cruz, uh, I'll just remind folks, has referred to Luttig as being like a father to him. That relationship between judges and their law clerks is close, but also lawyers, you know, just people fresh out of law school who clerk for judges at the same time, co-clerks, as we call them, those can become lifelong friendships. It's getting increasingly hard to keep track of all the different pieces in motion on the January 6th committee investigation. But this California ruling that it's more likely than not that Trump committed crimes related to the 2020 election, this is really important but first, uh, let's talk about the limitations. You hinted at this, Dan. You you mentioned the fact that it's a civil case. So what import does it have for a criminal investigation? It has no impact or effect directly on a criminal investigation, I think. And it was a very narrow question related to the John Eastman documents. Uh, the judge you know, even said at the end, uh, and I quote what he said, at most, this case is a warning about the dangers of legal theories gone wrong, the powerful abusing public platforms and desperation to win at all costs. If the plan had worked, it would have permanently ended the peaceful transition of power, undermining American democracy and the Constitution. If the country does not commit to investigating and pursuing accountability for those responsible, the court fears January 6th will repeat itself. And to me, that was really a an acknowledgement of the sort of narrow focus of this particular case. And in reading the opinion, I don't imagine that there's any big smoking gun in any of these documents that are going to be turned over. But it is really a a sort of implicit exhortation of not only the January 6th committee, but I think the Department of Justice. I think he is directing this message to the Department of Justice, not to say um, that his opinion carries, you know, any binding weight on what the Department of Justice does, but emphasizing the importance of accountability for January 6th. And the January 6th committee is, is doing a fabulous job of really intensively digging into what occurred on January 6th and in the lead up of January 6th. But the powers of January 6th committee and Congress in general are fairly limited to a former president. 
they can make a very important historical record of what occurred. They can recommend legislation to try to prevent what occurred from happening again. But to the extent that there is going to be any accountability, such as criminal prosecutions or civil lawsuits, then that really needs to come from outside of the January 6th committee. And at this point, it is a a dereliction of duty for the Department of Justice not to investigate broader than the January 6th insurrection, which they have understandably and rightly focused so many resources on, and 775 cases that have been charged, which is just truly a remarkable number. But they have to focus on the broader threat that uh, Trump, Eastman, and others Uh, really made to our fundamental democratic system of government. And accountability can truly only come with either criminal prosecution or to a lesser extent, uh, civil lawsuit and some sort of finding of liability. And so I really took this opinion to be a an independent judge's perspective on the importance of accountability. And I I don't think that the message will be lost on the folks over at our former uh, Department of Justice. It's interesting. I was going to ask you if you thought that the judge had jumped the shark a little bit when he wrote that section that he titles Disposition at the end of the opinion, because it goes beyond deciding the narrow issue in front of him and making this broader pronouncement about what he sees as the risk to the country and what he thinks needs to happen next. And you end up down, and you and I have discussed this so many times, and we've discussed it with Preet as well. It's tough to see signs of uh, investigation at DOJ. Perhaps they're doing something that's very skillful and and, uh, under the radar screen. At the same time, it's unconscionable to contemplate that they aren't investigating, given all of the evidence that's been in the public domain for the last year and a half at a minimum. So we sort of live with that central controversy of not knowing what DOJ is doing, but thinking that it's literally impossible to be in a universe where they aren't paying attention. Before we talk about that a little bit more, I want to go through some of the details of this California opinion. I think it's worth noting that Eastman tries to avoid producing documents by claiming that they're protected by the attorney-client privilege and then by work product immunity, which is a little bit different than the attorney-client privilege work product. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.